Hello, and welcome to the Secular Overeaters and Friends podcast, a place for supportive people who want to control their eating without a focus on God. For additional information about abstinence without God, please visit secularovereaters.org. And now, let's hear from this week's featured speaker. Today, let's welcome fellow overeater, Alan, who will lead us through the trigger inventory management exercise. Over to you, Alan. Hi, I'm Alan, and I'm a grateful recovering food addict from Alexandria, Virginia. Just a little OA background. I've been in OA 31 years, been absent about 26 of the 31 years, kind of had three relapses across my 30 years. The most abstinence I've had continuously is about 14 and a half. Now I've got about six and a half. Uh, my top weight was about 335 pounds. I can show you that. That's uh, about 150 pounds higher than I am today. Here's another photo. Again, um, about 150 pounds higher. So today's focus is on something called uh, trigger inventory management exercise. The idea of a trigger is something that increases the likelihood of you overeating and ways to manage it. Uh, kind of the metaphor like you you know can't fire a gun if you keep your hand off the trigger and it's harder to fall into certain food behaviors if you don't get triggered. And because our focus is secular OA, while in you know sort of more mainline OA, it's like you know God will help you not overeat since that's not our paradigm or approach. You know ours is more like we help each other through rational awareness and thought and sharing best practices. And so this is a, a practice that, you know, I think can be helpful to many. It has been helpful to me in my time in OA. The basic idea is that you identify triggers and come up with some way to manage it. And again, a trigger is anything that can either move you toward the food or pull you into the food. And management is anything that reduces it by keeping you away from the trigger in one form or another. The way I first sort of thought about this exercise was I've been sponsoring a man who was really struggling with overeating walnuts. And he did really well, and he's been a goal weight, and he's chair of an intergroup, really, in many ways, a very solid program, but he was sort of going crazy over walnuts. And I just said to him, well, can your wife just not buy walnuts? He said, no, she really likes them. She insists on having them. And I said, well, can she just put them out of sight and out of mind? And he said, well, yeah, I suppose she would do that. And lo and behold, she stuck them in some cabinet. He hasn't sought for them. And he's not touched a wall in months, you know, and he just seen it triggered him. And I thought about it, and I probably sponsored 100 people in my 30 years in OA. And so often, just a simple thing like that, like a one-on-one obvious thing helps, you know, but we sort of like don't think about it sometimes. So that's sort of the idea of a trigger, you know, inventory management. So um, we have an actual form and an exercise that um, is going to be put right now into the chat box. You have the option of a PDF file with checkboxes, so you can just fill it out in your computer or a Word document. With the PDF version, be sure to download the form to your device. It won't work if you open it as a Google Doc. So this concept of a trigger, I thought of it as in six basic categories. Sometimes it's easier to think of things in you know kind of categories. And so the categories are you know, food, restaurants, people, activities, or situations, celebration, and travel. And I'm going to talk a little bit about each one of them. But these are the kinds of things that have either triggered me or people I've sponsored. I've just heard triggered people in the meetings. 
And so we're just going to talk about some examples of triggers and what it means to manage a trigger. So if you look at these forms, what I did is I just put in a lot of common triggers, just so it's, so rather than uh, write them in, you can just check one if it's one that you have when we do the exercise later, or you can write in ones that are not there. And then there's space to write in examples. So the most obvious is food. You see a certain food and it makes you want to eat that food. And uh, I just talked about my friend with the nuts. And it can be not just seeing, but sometimes smelling. People have talked about when they smell somebody baking or they go into a bakery, just like the smell makes them you know, want to eat that food. And sometimes it's as simple as just don't go. If your partner is baking, don't hang out in the kitchen while she's baking. If that triggers you, the smells. Or I almost never will go into bakeries, even if my partner is buying stuff, because bakeries can trigger me. All those smells of what I used to binge on. So often it's just simply something as, as basic as that. So food's kind of almost obvious and intuitive. The next one is restaurants. Restaurants are, you know, where many of us have problems, um, you know, and uh, one example I'll give is, uh, you know, sometimes menus. Sometimes I go into a restaurant with a brand new menu and I just kind of get obsessed, like reading about it, thinking about it. What's that going to be? You know, my my joke is a menu I've never seen is kind of like a food addict's pornography. You know, like, oh, my God, what is that going to taste like? How big is it? What does it look like? What's the salt? You know what I mean? Like my brain can just spin on a menu that I've never seen before. So sometimes, um, you know, the way to avoid it for me is just look at the menu online before I go to the restaurant. So when I get there, I know what I'm ordering. I don't even need to see the menu, you know, and if I, I can have my craziness while I'm at the computer, you know, 20 minutes away and talk it through with someone. So when I get there, I don't get triggered by this menu and choice, and particularly a new menu. Another example is sometimes Italian restaurants can kind of trigger me because I don't do pizza. I don't do pasta. Sometimes there's like very little I can eat at an Italian restaurant, but that's where my family or friends are going. And again, even there, sometimes just calling in advance saying, do you have like wheat-free pasta or a dish with rice or something, you know, just like that advanced so I don't get triggered looking at my two of my worst binge foods, pizza and pasta right in front of me, uh, where I can't have it and everyone else is, right? And that can be a trigger too, like that deprivation thing. People can be another trigger, you know, specifically family members, children, et cetera. One that always was a little bit of a trigger for me when I was in my days of e-harmony and dating many years ago, thankfully, you know, I would often go on a first date and like, it was like a little weird to be, you know, having to figure out, wanting to like look normal and be a normal eater with this, make this not make a weird impression, you know, on a first date. And often I just learned to come up with something to say, like saying, you know, I'm really health conscious. So I avoid, you know, just like a casual line, but having, having to practice what I'm going to say. So it's not a big deal. And I don't get triggered to quote, split a dessert with her because, you know, maybe somebody would do something like that, you know, and I don't eat desserts. So that's, um, you know, people situations. Another one is just activities and situations. There's all sorts of, you know, activities that can be triggery. One of the worst ones for me was um, in my company at holiday time, people would give the company gifts, gifts of like cookies and chocolates and all this stuff, you know, and you go into the kitchen, you know, around December and there's all this stuff and it's out for everyone and people bring in stuff and they bake stuff. It's just like a, a sugar fest, you know? Uh, and I remember particularly the ones, you know, those like little boxes of chocolate with the map of what's in it, you know, and this one's got this and that. And oh my God, that would just drive me nuts. I, I lost my abstinence. I can't tell you how many times on, you know, holiday kitchen crap. And uh, 
I've done different things. Sometimes I'm just like, you know what, from December 15th to January, you don't go in that kitchen. You bring your lunch and boom, you just don't walk in there, you know, because like that in itself could be an issue. Um, at one point, um, I had my own company and I was able to kind of have the ability to ask a couple of employees to make sure it went someplace else. But one way or another, to not be in front of that was a good management strategy to not binge on that kind of holiday stuff. Another one sometimes is leftovers. You know, you can be like obsessed over how it goes, what I'm going to do with it. And, you know, my joke line is sometimes it's better to go to the compost pile than my waistline, you know, like figuring out what to do with that one little bite is maybe just not worth trying to figure that out, uh, particularly if it's a trigger. Another thing is like places with free food samples. You know, you go to through all these supermarkets and farmers markets and everyone just wants to give you like something to try. And, you know, that uh, samples doesn't work well. So again, sometimes I just avoid that or have a no thank you line or, you know, just have a little strategy so that samples are not my thing. Probably the trickiest one is, have you ever been to the things where most of the food is on like those little cocktail um, carts that people are bringing around, you know, the waiters with the hors d'oeuvres and you're supposed to make your meal running down people on little foods and oh my goodness, just not a good system, right? What are they having? How many do I get, right? It's, it's like crazy making for me. So it's usually my strategy is eat before. Often they're doing that late. Just your food is before you get there. When you walk in, you're about soda water or Diet Coke and talking to people. You're not chasing down waiters with yum-yums on little trays, which you know could just be a real problem. So, so those are examples of um, you know some activities. And um, another one is celebrations, right? I mean, the number one way our country celebrates, well, I suppose two ways, is food and drink, right? That's how we celebrate. We eat and drink. That is like the American way. And I suspect it's the way for much of the world, you know, food and alcohol. I know we're multinational here. So one of the ones I hear about a lot is Halloween, um, you know, and that's the whole thing of, you know, standing by the door for three hours, giving out sugar, you know, which if you're a sugar addict, it's just you know, like such, such a bad idea. No one when AA would be handing out shots of alcohol for three hours, right? But why do we hand out shots of sugar? And so often what people do is they just simply let their spouse do it, um, let somebody else do it, find something other than sugar, right? Give out whatever else, little, you know, things that are toys or gifts, just not deal with trick-or-treaters, you know, like, you know, Breaking your abstinence versus not having the trick-or-treat experience, hmm, you know, tough decision, right? So again, you come up with a management strategy for that. Another big one is parties, these holiday parties with mystery food, right? Everyone's bringing in a potluck and you show up and what's it going to be? And particularly around the celebrations, people are often making like really rich, creamy, cheesy, saucy foods, right? They're baking or this, they're that. And, you know, I get there and I associate holidays with like, crazy eating like that's why i was going there not to talk to the people or celebrate the season it was like 14 things to pick from in unlimited quantities you know that's what i did that's how i got to 300 pounds and so sometimes the strategy is just to eat before and like get there like not my food i've had my dinner and eat before is often such a good little management strategy Another one is just bring something I know I can eat, like bring like a salad. So I know there's salad and I just have to go find one or two other things. Sometimes just bring my own meal, like maybe bring a salad for everyone, but sometimes just bring my own little Tupperware and someone looks at it and go, oh yeah, that's mine. That actually wasn't on the common table, you know, but uh, so just again, but knowing that if that's a trigger, those holiday parties, 
have a strategy in advance. Don't just show up and, hmm, look at this. We've got a choice of four kinds of cookies, three kinds of macaroni and cheese, and, you know, whatever. Like, hmm, this probably isn't going to work. Um, so that's another one. Um, Thanksgiving, probably the worst. I mean, that's the official binge day for our culture. You know, like that's when we overeat. That's what we do at Thanksgiving. Everyone gets stuck. We all talk about it. We joke about it. For that one, I've sometimes, you know, called in in advance, looked at what's on the line and texted it to my sponsor, just different ways to, you know, not make Thanksgiving be, you know, a day to overeat. Weddings is another big one, you know, uh, particularly like the whole cake thing, right? Everyone has to have a piece of the wedding cake. Um, one management strategy I've done is as soon as I get to the table, just, you know, tell that waiter, hey, you know, I'm allergic to sugar. When the cake comes out, could you bring me a fruit cup? And it's amazing if you just, you know, mention that in advance, they're happy to do it, right? You know, caterers are used to people being diabetic, they get it, you know, and all of a sudden, you know, a piece of fruit falls in front of me. Because if a piece of cake just gets stuck in front of me, you know, it's it's that much easier to eat it. It's just that much easier, much better to tell that waiter up front. Um, so again, you know, none of this is rocket science, but it can help, it really can. So that is celebrations. And uh, the last one, category number six, is travel and unfamiliar places. So I think I've had more challenges on vacations almost than any place else because a vacation is you know many days in a row in a different environment with lots of variation in food. And so probably one of the biggest things I do is before I travel is I just make a plan. You know, as much as I can think through my meetings, my food, calling my sponsor, my sponsees, my literature. I mean, I just say to myself, what parts of my OA program can come with me? And it works. Uh, a couple of years ago, I spent 21 days in Asia. I ate out 63 times in 21 days, barely could understand the menus. It was in Asia. It was very different food. And I came back the same weight, you know, and that, that was amazing. Right. And that's because I made a really detailed plan, wrote it up and as best I could stuck to it. A variation on that is travel like the actual airport experience and time zones. Time, you know, I, I spent 18 hours on a plane, shipped to 12 hours time zone. It's very confusing. What do I eat when? I'm tired. What is they giving me, you know? So I work pretty hard to just have a strategy. I found another guy in OA who goes to Asia a lot. And I said, what do you do? I'd never been to Asia before. I'd never been on an 18-hour flight before. I never had my time zones flipped. And, you know, he just told me what worked for him. And, you know, it wasn't perfect, but it was good enough. But again, if I had just sort of jumped on that plane without thinking it through, I probably wouldn't have gone so well. Cruise ships, I've heard more people talk about gaining weight on cruise ships than you can name. You know, I kind of wrote down in this example, uh, take a canoe, you know, don't go on a cruise ship. I mean, um, you know, I was on one cruise in my life. It was a small cruise where it actually wasn't buffet. And I called them up in advance. And then when the day I entered the ship, I was talked to like one of the kitchen people and explained my whole deal. There was like a lot of overhead, but they completely, you know, like stuff came out that I could eat. People were like, wow, why is your different? Well, I got some food allergies, you know, and it worked they, and they were happy to accommodate. But again, it took a strategy to contacting them in advance and thinking it through. Another one I just recently ran into, I was with a friend in uh, Ocean City, New Jersey. She was telling me she loves to go on the boardwalk 
but she gets triggered by all the cotton candy and crap and saltwater taffy, right? You know, boardwalks are full of like little sugar factories. And then she said, you know what? The stock shops don't open till 10 a.m. And she goes, I can just do my boardwalk time at 8 a.m. And lo and behold, you can't eat boardwalk crap food if the stores aren't open, at least much harder. So, um, so again, you know, just there's really no rocket science here, but it's really just figuring out what your triggers are and either coming up with your own management strategy, or if you don't have one, get help from others, you know, like I did with a guy. Hey, what are you doing freaking Asia? How do you deal with this? And it was tricky, but he had a lot of experience and it helped me a lot. Like to me, you know, the essence of our secular OA community is we help each other. You know, we just have a, we share our common wisdom and experience um, to find things that work. So um, that being all said, we're now going to go into the exercise. And um, for the exercise, again, let me just explain how these little forms work. If you're using the PDF form, you can just check boxes. And if there's something you want to add on your own, you know, like, I don't know, suppose you get triggered by cat food, you know, you can put in cat food, cats might get triggered by it. Um, then you have a free section where you can actually just write in, my idea is, you know, to get a dog, you know, and maybe that would keep the cat food away. But, you know, you can, being silly, but you can just use these forms to go through them, hit the check boxes or write in stuff as needed. And so that said, we're now going to take um, 10 minutes uh, where you go ahead and do this. And I want to emphasize, don't feel like you need to capture every single thing now. It's more to just get into the process of doing the inventory and the management. You, you know, you can add to this and finish it as you like. But I do encourage you to just consider this as a tool to use uh, and to, you know, get help to use it if it help, if that's useful. And when we come back together, it can either be to share something that was helpful or if you um, have a specific question and like maybe on a management strategy that's not coming to mind, maybe I'll have a useful thought there. And with that, let's uh, go to the writing time. By the way, one thing I accidentally skipped over, which I think is important enough to mention now, is uh, buffets or all-you-can-eat, hot bars, salad bars, anything where it's all-you-can-eat is often a trigger for, I think, many of us, right? All-you-can-eat. And the best strategy I found is before I even touch the food, before anything goes on my plate, to just circle around it and just make a plan. Like say, okay, this is my plan and then start to do it. You know, because something about when the thing's in my hand and it's good, how much I put on the plate or what can be really tricky. And I always use this old guideline, never put more on a plate than you can lift. So uh, that's kind of helped me there. Time's now up for working on the form and we will open the room for sharing. You can choose a trigger and either tell us your proposed management strategy or you can ask Alan for advice on how to handle the situation. So who wants to go first? Hi, everybody. Ashley, compulsive overeater, working a secular program. Nice to see you all. Thank you for this workshop. I have a hard time with homemade Christmas cookies. They get me into trouble every year. Um, this year, in an effort to have a plan to put around it, I had my husband only make the cookies that he really likes because I don't really like those. However, uh, I did make one kind of cookie that I liked uh, and I ended up eating too many of them each day they were in the house. So as I was, this exercise was really good. So I, I was thinking next Christmas, we're going to do the same thing. 
I'm going to ask my husband to only make the cookies he likes and I don't. And then I'm still going to make my favorite cookies, but I think I'm going to ask somebody, one of my neighbors to put them all into her freezer until Christmas day. And then I'll give them away only keeping one for myself and my husband for Christmas day. That was my plan. <laughs> Thanks. Um, Peggy. I was wondering if you consider things like stress and lack of sleep to be triggers. When I was looking at this form, I thought that even things, you know, where I do have difficulties with travel celebrations, a lot of times I do think it's more just the stress of those events and being away from routines and things that that triggers me. Um, so I was just wondering about your thoughts on that. Yeah. So I think what I focused on is what I call external triggers, things from the outside, but in, we could really do a whole workshop on internal triggers, you know, your fears, your anxieties, your sleep, like your inner stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and I sort of left another a big blank box at the end. Yeah. But yeah, I think internal triggers is totally valid and um, for sure. Amy C. So as a former smoker, I have turned to food as my higher power uh, the past 10 years. <laughs> um, what other outlets would you recommend? For example, every week we go to visit an elderly relative and we play a, a board game and there's always uh, pizza and desserts. And for a while there, we wore our masks uh, as a really great way to muzzle myself. Um, but I have this difficulty where I always want to chew on something and I sometimes use other things like hard candy, but I realize even that creates a problem for me. So how to disengage from sort of this need to constantly chew on something, because I have a social anxiety. So I realize I use, I guess, energetically, I'm, I'm trying to find an outlet. Um, so any suggestions from anybody, I really appreciate your help. Thank you. You know, that might be something to really kind of talk out in depth with a sponsor, explore ideas, because there's a few things going on there, right? An oral fixation, anxiety, the situation, I'd be reluctant to just throw out an idea. I just encourage you to talk it through with someone in depth. April L. Hi, guys. Um, one of the things that I didn't really see on the list that I know is a trigger for me is just my commute time. When I'm commuting to work in the morning and when I'm commuting back from work, um, I know, you know, the temptation is always there to stop and get something in the morning. I want to stop and get stuff from the coffee places and it's never just coffee. It's the whole sugary drinks. Um, and then at night it's like fast food or, or stuff like that. So what I've been doing since I started with OA about a month and a half ago is, and why I'm so thankful for the zoom meetings, um, is I have, I attend meetings. I actually have an hour commute, so it's perfect. I attend meetings on my morning commute and on my afternoon commute. So it works. It's been working out very well for me. So Thanks, guys. Thank you, April. Sounds like a great strategy. Finley? Hey, yeah, Finley, compulsive overeater, binge eater. Um, just find I'm really triggered by when I'm like on YouTube and, you know, off to the side, something pops up, a recipe or picture of something that I'd like to learn how to make and eat. <laughs> or, uh, you know, if I'm on different websites, there'll be a, a pop-up of, um, a, you know, a food or something else that looks very enticing. And I have a hard time, you know, quelling my thoughts when that thing is just there. 
You know, just a quick thought on that. There are these things called ad blockers. If you just Google ad blockers, they're like little extensions and Chrome and stuff. And they actually just stop pop-ups of any kind, not just food. And it's sort of a useful thing, maybe. Okay, thanks. I didn't know about that. What about for the stuff that's on the side of YouTube, though? I mean, they aren't they aren't really ads. They're just promoting another YouTube video. You know, my, my partner sometimes used to watch food, TV, and like recipes, and it drove me crazy. So I would either not be in the room if she did it or ask her to turn it off, or I just, just wouldn't look at that because it would mess with me. And then we have Sarah from Finland. Thank you. Uh, I have had, well, first of all, I... Uh, I think how many times I have uh, eaten like in buffets or this kind of free food events. And I have, it is so like, okay, I could have planned ahead. It, because I always think when I'm abstinent, I think that, well, this is what it's going to be. I'm, I'm never going to binge this crazy idea. So I don't plan ahead. I have been several times when I have my child with me like 10 days, then she's uh, like a few days at her father's place. She has diabetes, so I can't. I, I don't. I have. I'm very sleep deprived. When she when she leaves, I uh, I have asked my partner to. I'm so tired that uh, that he will go to the store and bring like a big, it's like big yellow uh, plastic bag full of sweets, and it's sort of like celebrate and pamper and just relax and watch Netflix and this you know a lot of sugar, and uh, well this time that I know I knew that this is going to be the trigger trigger time, a trigger day. So I had a ukulele lesson coming next morning. So I knew there would be something fun to do with. So it's just that OA meeting and ukulele was the strategy for that. And I didn't binge. Hi, um, I've been doing pretty well with the bingey stuff now, but yesterday was my first day being able to go back to the Berkeley Bowl, which is like this grocery store in the Berkeley area where a bunch of us who are on this meeting are from. And I was just salivating when I was walking down like the aisles and even like the fresh, you know, food aisles. Cause I have not gone into these grocery stores for 15 months and I just like overbought fruit and stuff. I mean, and I think if I'd gone in with a plan ahead of time, that would have helped, but I do, I was really just taken aback. Like I wasn't expecting those feelings, but I don't know, but Alan, maybe you might have an idea for something like that. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people getting triggered walking into supermarkets because there's like a thousand, thousands of things, literally. And so one technique is to just literally have a shopping list and just kind of be on a mission, you know, four apples, do this, a quart of milk and boom, boom, boom. And that's it, you know, and just follow the list. Stephanie? Good morning. My question is how you deal with the feelings of deprivation. So I did really well for about six years. And then with the pandemic, I just felt so restricted and deprived of everything um, that I just kind of felt my guard go completely down. And I'm just now trying to figure out how to deal with trigger foods and those feelings of deprivation and, and restriction and how, how do people deal with it? You know, that, that's sort of a big question, but the short form would be to just talk to other people, just kind of talk it out, you know, and you know, one strategy is to find ways to feel connected without putting things in ourselves like fellowship and fun and walks and music and this and that, but basically to find other ways to be filled up other than putting stuff into our body. Do we have time for one more? M? Hi. Um, there's one thing which triggers me and which I 
decided consciously that I would take the risk and that's just the way it is. And I white knuckle it because it is very important to me. And that is that I'm the one who does bakes the cookies for Christmas. And I'm a really good Christmas cookie baker. I make some 15 different kinds and they're really good. And people love receiving them for me. And I love giving them. Now, you know, if you're doing 50 to 20 kinds, if you try only one of each, you've had a lot, you know. And in Germany, you do those in the Advent time. So it's four weeks before Christmas and they're sitting there. I mean, it's really evil stuff. Um, but it is a decision that I made two years ago when I came to away. And that's like, okay, hell, it's it's just the way it's going to be. And I have to white knuckle it. And what has changed is make them real quick to be able to give them out real quick and not wait for two, three weeks till I've baked all the kinds so that they're out of the house as quick as possible. So it's a different kind of coping, managing. Thank you. Thank you, Mashira. Thank you for joining us today. To hear recordings of other speakers in this series, visit secularovereaters.org. And while you are there, please consider making a donation to support our work.